0: Monday edition of PFTPM. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio, post Thanksgiving and the post Thanksgiving hangover strong for the National Football League and uncertainty. <laughs> Shereen still lingering as it relates to the last game of Week Twelve. Not Monday Night Football. That's what it usually would be. Ravens Steelers still pending. Tuesday night's game reportedly bumped. To Wednesday night we're going to break that down every which way we can coming up over the course of the next hour but before I say that I say hello to you our audience enjoying the program on Peacock and hello to Shereen Williams and as Chris Berman would say let me be the last to wish you a happy Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah same to you Mike it was weird not being on for a few days but we're back and there's obviously plenty of news to report today.
0: I'm just told that practice will happen tonight for the Baltimore Ravens, they will have their walkthrough even though the game has been postponed from Tuesday to Wednesday. That capped a fairly active hour of information that I was getting about critical mass that was arriving for the Ravens and the Steelers. what I had been told by a very good source connected to the union as opposed to my usual, not very good sources, but that never stops me, is that <laughs> th- there was fear that Ravens players would say we aren't Playing, period. We refuse to play. And that would constitute technically a wildcat strike. Now, every collective bargaining agreement has a provision that says there shall be no lockout, no strike during the term of the deal. It's only after the deal expires that it becomes legal for management to lock out the workforce or the workforce to go on strike. But under certain circumstances, and I don't want this to turn into continuing legal education for anyone out there who needs a labor law credit, under certain circumstances, the workforce can say, we're not working. And usually in an industrial setting, it arises when there's some sort of a safety issue. And Shireen, there's a safety issue here in the minds of the players because they look at not being able to gather, not being able to practice, not being able to prepare as a potential safety risk for them when it's time to play the Steelers, especially when you're calling up all these guys that don't have a lot of experience who are being thrust into a, a new role. Peter King pointed out that the guy who's playing center for the Ravens, and I don't even remember who the guy is, I mean, he's going to be nose to nose with Cam Hayward for crying out loud. And the guy's never played center in the NFL before. That's the kind of physical risk you're getting into. So the Ravens said, we may not play. The Ravens players said, we may not play. And it looks like the NFL blinked and said, okay, we'll move the game to Wednesday and give you a chance to prepare between Monday and Tuesday.
1: Sort of seems like a Hail Mary for the NFL right here, Mike, that they had to do this. They had to give the Ravens more time, even though I'm sure that's not what they wanted to do. They wanted to play this game and – In some respects, I'm sure they feel like they're giving Baltimore a little bit more of an advantage than they should have. I don't think they are. Baltimore's still going to be shorthanded. And if I'm RG3, I am scared, as you said, of my physical health going into this game because with that offensive line and the lack of offensive linemen that he's going to have, starting offensive linemen, His health would would seem to be in grave danger going into this game against this defense. And, you know, I'm sure the Broncos are sitting here today, too, right now, probably thinking, why didn't we think of this yesterday and refuse to play yesterday? Not quite the same circumstances, but it was in the sense that they had no chance in that game yesterday. Just as I think, I don't care how far down the line you move this game unless you move it to week 18 nobody's given the ravens a chance to win this game mike with with all the guys they still have on the COVID list
0: this is high stakes poker for the players to engage in and in hindsight maybe the broncos players should have risen up and said we aren't going to play in this game with no quarterbacks now what did happen was broncos management from ceo joe ellis to gm john elway to coach vic fangio lobbied the nfl aggressively to bump the game back. I'm told until today, because technically they could have gotten the three quarterbacks who weren't positive for COVID-19 back today, Drew Locke, Brett Ripon, and Blake Bortles. The league said, no, we're not doing that. We don't postpone games for competitive reasons. Okay, fine. But if the players had said, we're just not going to play, that's what would have raised the stakes here. And who knows what the league would have said, because if you're the players, what you're doing is you're going all in with your game check, because the Broncos players got paid for Sunday, by playing, if you refuse to play and the game would get cancelled, then you don't get paid pursuant to the agreement that was struck back in August between the league and the union and the other problem is this and, and this is what has the NFL Players Association concerned i 'm told if there would be a Wildcat strike that would violate the terms of the agreement that was struck back in August to allow the season to go forward, there is concern that the league would say, fine, we're going to rip up the entire agreement. We're going to pull the plug on the season because we are swimming in red ink here, and this is our exit ramp. This is our easy way out. This is our path to stop the bleeding. See you later, rest of season. That would be an extreme example, but the union, in order to be prudent in protecting the interests of all of its constituents, needs to at least be concerned about that possibility. So hasn't happened yet, isn't happening as it relates to the Ravens because they got the game bumped today and presumably now the Ravens players will stand down and get ready for the game but there's a way these dominoes just careen out of control and you end up with possibly the season being thrown in the wastebasket although I, I, I'd be stunned if that happens although let's rewind to January 1 and go through the events of 2020 and how stunned would you be if you knew back at the turn of the year what we were in for so you can't rule anything out at this point
1: it's crazy Mike I was just thinking about that all the things we're talking about today who would have dreamed you know a few weeks ago even in the midst of all this that we'd be talking about what we're talking about today it's just incredible this whole year this whole season everything's just been incredible and crazy and you know we were texting on Saturday and I, I texted to you guys that I felt like this was a house of cards and it really felt like it was about to come down for the NFL between the, the 49ers situation with being kicked out of their stadium and in, in their practice facility and then with the Ravens all their positives with the Broncos not having a quarterback it just seemed like. All the buildup for the entire season has come down to this. And the league has been, in in my view anyway, lucky to get to the point now where they have not had a, a game postponed to Week 18. But it's really looking like we are close to either hitting the pause button or moving to that Week 18 as, as things continue to develop. It's just been a, a wild few days.
0: Yeah, and, and the Week 18 scenario... And like so many other things that relates to this season, Shereen, it has to come into full focus to truly understand what the potential issues would be. And I was playing this out today. Okay, Ravens-Steelers, it goes to Week 18. It becomes the first game that moves to Week 18. Every Ravens-Steelers game after that is operating on a tightrope without a net because if the Ravens have an issue, if the Steelers have an issue, if any of their opponents have issues and that game has to be postponed, w- wait wait a minute, you, how, where do you postpone it to? Week 18 is already spoken for as it relates to the Ravens and the Steelers. What if Steelers' bills can't be played in two weeks because of a COVID issue with either Pittsburgh or Buffalo? And and we don't know what's going to happen once the dust settles on the post-Thanksgiving Spread on top of the spread. What if that game can't be played? What if that's where we're headed? So, how do you pick and choose? How do you prioritize if you're the league? Do you say, well, all right, the first one we postponed was Ravens Steelers, so that's the one that gets played week 18, even though Steelers Bills, once we play all the other games, may have more relevance to more teams and may be a bigger game and also would be a more compelling game to the extent that we're trying to make back some money and we want to broadcast some games in national windows. Steelers-Bills, better game. Ravens-Steelers, Ravens stink, or at least they're currently in the midst of stink. Who knows where they'll be week 18. I think whatever would happen, Shereen, if if games get postponed to a week 18, I think the league would end up just postponing indefinitely with no commitment that that's the game that'll be played week 18 because you don't want to paint yourself into a corner because there could be a more important game involving one of those two teams that you would rather play in Week 18.
1: Yeah, and it makes perfect sense, Mike. And I think you've called it the nuclear option for the NFL, which is what it seems like. That is the the worst-case scenario for them. They don't want to do that. We know that. They want to try to get all these games in, which is why now they're going to jam this game in. You're going to have a game on Wednesday, and you're obviously going to have to move back that Steelers game that was set for Sunday. You're going to have to move that one back to Monday or Tuesday of next week. So now suddenly the Steelers are playing all these games in here. Forget the mini bye they were supposed to have. They're going to have a bunch of games here in a row, just as the Ravens are, if they can get these games in. But that's the hope that now that they can play this game on Wednesday and we don't have to have that postponement that we're talking about. And I agree with you. You don't want to do it because you don't know what's going to happen down the line. This might... It's getting worse by the week. It's getting worse out in the communities, and now we've seen it getting worse within teams. The Patriots just today put Julian Edelman on the COVID list. Every day we're starting to see guys go on here. Big-name guys are going on, and you see what happened with the Broncos with no quarterback.
0: All year long, the uh, and and I'll admit, I've got a a touch of various disorders, and OCD is one of them, and it's been bothering me, this concept of having fewer – than 16 regular season games, or just any number of uneven games. If everybody plays 15, like 1987, fine. If everybody plays nine, like 1982, fine. It's bothered me that you could have some teams with 16, some with 15, some with 14, and then you determine playoff position based on winning percentage, and you would have someone inevitably on the outside looking in saying, if we would have gotten to play one more game or if the team ahead of us had been forced to play one more game maybe we get in and they don't so I've been bothered by that because in my mind that undermines the integrity of the season but when you look at what's gone on for me the tipping point was the Broncos game we've already undermined the integrity of the season by forcing teams to go forward without enough quarter without any quarterbacks You have to play a game with zero quarterbacks. You have to grab a practice squad receiver on roughly 24 hours notice and get the guy ready. And look, the Broncos have said all the right things because I don't think anybody wants to be in the crosshairs of 345 Park Avenue right now. I think that within the walls of the Broncos facility, there are some people who are very pissed off. And there are some people who think that they got screwed. One of the reasons they think they got screwed is They're the ones who self-reported the video of the quarterbacks in the meeting room for an approved meeting. Even though someone from somewhere leaked it was an unsanctioned meeting, it was an approved meeting. And there was an issue for a small period of time with masks. And that becomes all of your quarterbacks are on the COVID-19 reserve list. And my understanding is that the Broncos informed the league of that on Friday. And it was like 30 hours later when they finally heard they won't have their quarterbacks. Gee, thanks a lot for giving us a fair opportunity to get someone else ready to play. So it's just, it, it. for me, that's the moment where I've come to the conclusion, I don't care if there aren't enough games, if there aren't an even number of games. There's already enough games because we had nine per team in 1982. Everybody's got at least 11 now, except for the teams that still are left to play this weekend. So we're fine. It's it's We're past the top of the fifth for the rain out in the baseball game, Shireen. I'm not going to obsess over whether or not one team gets to 16, one team gets to 15, one team gets to 14. The hay is in the barn. Let's just do what we can to be fair to everyone, to be safe and courteous and respectful to the players, and let's just hope that they, they get into a bubble by the time the postseason rolls around so we don't have these issues every day, every day, every day.
1: Well, and remember, Mike, we're going to go to the extra playoff teams too. If 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 we do, if that scenario does play out, we're going to have, what, eight teams in, in each conference that go to the postseason. So if, if you're not in that top eight, you probably don't deserve to go to the playoffs anyway. So, you know, the expanded playoffs are probably going to take care of that. I'm with you. I would have rather have seen the Broncos game postponed for a day or two or completely wiped off the schedule, whatever you have to do. But that was not a competitive game. It was not worth watching i watched maybe two or three series of that one just to, out of curiosity of what the Broncos were going to do. But like you said, they didn't have enough time to prepare, even to go to a wildcat type offense or – whatever they were going to do, they didn't even have time to prepare for that. And and so it was blatantly unfair to the Broncos what happened. Now you can put it on them that they're the ones that took the mask off in the meetings, whatever you want to do. But it was not a competitive game. No one expected the Broncos to go in there and win with no quarterback, and they certainly didn't. They got blown out by the Saints who, what, didn't even have 100 yards passing. So it, it was a useless game, and there have probably been now, what, Two or three of these games when you just knew one team was going in there with absolutely no chance because of the COVID issues that they had. And I think we're looking at that same scenario for the Ravens against the Steelers. Even if the game's played on Wednesday, I'm not giving the Ravens any chance to win this game on Wednesday. Zero. They will get blown out.
0: It it was funny. Uh, only because funny is the best way to react, uh, because if you don't laugh, you end up crying. Earlier today on PFT Live, we pivoted from talking about the battle between the current GOAT and the future GOAT to Broncos Saints, with a receiver playing quarterback for one team sure. and a tight end playing quarterback for the other team. Although I continue to be a, a Taysom Hill fan, I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice a good joke just because. I'm a Taysom Hill fan. Um, (laughs) Updated news from Albert Breer of SI.com. The Ravens plan to fly to Pittsburgh Tuesday night after they find out about their COVID testing for tomorrow. The Ravens, one of the teams that is sufficiently close to the testing laboratory that they get their results far earlier than others. Some teams don't find out until early morning the next day. The Ravens usually find out by... 5 p.m. Eastern, sometimes 6 o'clock, sometimes in that window of what, and, and it's obviously expedited now because of their situation. There was one additional positive today. It was someone on injured reserve. My understanding is it's someone that they expected as they deal with this tail end of the outbreak from last week, but they want to see if there's any more positives tomorrow before they put everyone in a plane, and actually the plan is to use two planes. Not that that makes it any better, but at least you can spread out a little bit more in two planes. And uh, there, there likely will still be some trepidation if there are any remaining positives tomorrow, but that's the plan for now. It continues to be fluid, and it just shows you how determined the NFL is to get all the games played that they haven't just said, forget it we're not playing this game or we're we're postponing it indefinitely with the possibility that we'll play at week 18, assuming there isn't a better option available involving one of these two teams.
1: And Mike, this is a team that hasn't practiced in the last 10 days either. Presumably they're on the field now getting some work in, but they haven't had a full practice in 10 days. So It's incredible that you're asking them to go play a football game, an NFL team going to play a football game with 20 guys. I think we're up to 20 or close to 20 guys on the COVID list over the past week. More than 30 in the organization have tested positive and they're going to play a game on Wednesday. Practice or not, starting quarterback or not, starting offensive line or not, get out there and and go play.
0: Yeah, and uh, we'll just see how it all continues to play out. And they have had walkthroughs. And this is part of the problem. This is one of the reasons why they ended up being shut down. Trying to get the game in Thursday. The league let them have a walkthrough last Monday, despite knowing there were multiple players who played on Sunday against the Titans who were positive, Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. And then the league let them gather on Tuesday for a walkthrough, knowing that there had been positives from Monday, and it wasn't until they, they figured out that the situation was getting worse not better on Tuesday that they shut the facility. So they, they, they almost got a full practice in last Tuesday walkthrough, and it's going to be a walkthrough tonight. They're not going to go out there and, and, you know, put on the pads and, and do that. They're just trying to get themselves mentally ready to run their offense and their defense against the Steelers. But you're, you're right. At the end of the day – and and I don't I don't want to paint myself into a corner on this and say there's no way in hell the Ravens can win because who knows in the National Football League and they do have an actual quarterback playing, not a converted receiver in RG three and RG three has had success in the past but I'd be stunned if this game's even competitive we'll watch it because it's football and it's on TV but uh I you know this, the the indications aren't there for this to be a classic chapter in the Ravens Steelers rivalry Shereen you mentioned that. Julian Edelman is on the reserve COVID-19 list. He was already on injured reserve anyway, but it's just indicative of what's happening. And another issue as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic, the San Francisco 49ers, who had become the Santa Clara 49ers, will now be the Glendale, Arizona 49ers for their next two home games. They will play Week 13 and 14 starting next Monday night against the Buffalo Bills in State Farm Stadium. One of the first things I noticed when the schedule came out because we knew the California teams could have an issue because California was ahead of the curve in saying thou shalt not go out and do things during the pandemic. San Francisco, Arizona, there was never a conflict in any week of them playing at home on the same day, which is amazing when you think of it. But I think that plan for San Francisco to potentially play in Arizona was in place when they made the schedule and now they have to use it and they're going to use it at least for the next two home games.
1: And, Mike, they also looked at Dallas and San Diego, but you're right. That was in place when it looked like maybe training camp wouldn't happen in Santa Clara. And they also have to worry about practice now, and that has not been determined. They're still looking at sites. They would prefer to stay In the Bay Area, but that doesn't look like it's going to be possible because we know the quarantine rules in Santa Clara. So it does look like you're going to get your chance to see your bubble because it does look like the Cardinals are going to have to go to Arizona and bubble in Arizona uh, for, for at least the next two or three weeks. Uh, while they while they work this out and see what Santa Clara does over the next two or three weeks, and that Seahawks game, which is the last game of the season in Week 17, hasn't been determined yet either. If they'll be able to play at home, or they'll continue to play in Arizona for that game.
0: This is an issue that I haven't had a chance to to poke around on with Ravens Steelers being the the main focal point today, but I suspect the union has a say in this decision to rip the players away from their families in and around Santa Clara and tell them you're going to Arizona for a business trip for the next three weeks, period. With little or no notice, you're out. You're gone. It's done. My guess is that there are plenty of players who are upset about that. This isn't what they signed up for when they went into the season. It's one of the reasons why they've been avoiding the concept of the home market bubble. I mean, coaches want this. Coaches like Going on the road, coaches like multiple game road trips. Coaches want their players in hotels as much as possible. It's when they are left to their own devices that the risk of getting infected increases dramatically. But I I just and maybe the union's got enough to deal with Shireen that they haven't made an issue of it yet. But I, I think that this is something that the union has to sign off on. The prospect of a team. Being relocated from its home market for multiple weeks and the players essentially being 24 7 employees.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And I'm sure that's what the holdup is. Otherwise, why wouldn't you just go, hey, we're moving to Arizona for the next two or three weeks until Santa Clara changes its rules and we can get back in, or are we going to end up there for the whole entire season? So, they haven't announced that, so I would presume that's the holdup. Where else are you going to go? I mean, Stanford's looking to move out, too, to, to find a place to practice and play. And and so they're not going to be able to stay there and practice. There's just no possibility of that with the rules that Santa Clara County has in place with, with them having to quarantine when they come back in from more than 150 miles out, which obviously they would be. So. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how this is handled by the union, what happens, where they end up. But that's probably their best option at this point is to go down to Arizona and just stay there for however long they have to stay there.
0: Yeah, they've announced they're playing the games there, but they haven't said where they're going to practice. That is the challenge. That is the issue. And uh, that that is something they're going to have to work out. But my guess is the powers that be with the 49ers would prefer to just take everyone to the Phoenix area and stay there for the duration of their home games uh, in Arizona. They have a road game in Arizona at some point, too, so they'll be playing plenty of games in Arizona down the stretch if that's how it all plays out. Quick injury note, usually there are more injuries to discuss on Monday. I'm glad we don't have more to discuss, but Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback, and yeah, the team isn't very good, but but they're they're still in the mix for the division title. They beat the Bengals on Sunday Daniel Jones avoided a major hamstring injury he's not ruled out for Sunday. Joe Judge, the coach of the Giants said there's actually more question marks and answers right now We'll have to see how he moves around in a couple of days. There were indications last night I think it was NFL media trying to get ahead of this suggesting that it, it could be serious well yeah, it could be serious it could not be serious a lot of it is to be determined as the week unfolds but it's clear there's something not right. He left the game. Try to come back for a play, was clearly pulling at that that hamstring area. So, uh, look, hamstring, uh, maybe Joe Judge is just trying to be strategic like Bill Belichick would be, but the only thing that cures a hamstring injury is rest. And if he tries to come back and play, it's only going to get worse unless they keep him within a fairly tight range of motion. You know, maybe you can get away with doing a drop and getting rid of the football. But if you try to run, that thing is going to grab and you're going to be done.
1: It it sounds like it's a strain, not a tear, Mike. I saw a report right before we came on. Uh, A strain, not a tear, but it does look like he's going to miss some time despite what Joe Judge said. And fortunately for them, they have a veteran quarterback and Colt McCoy, but the hardest part of the schedule gets going now for the NFC East leaders, as hard as that is to believe uh, they've got a st- tough stretch here, and if they're going to stay in that NFC East lead, they're probably going to need some NFC East teams around them to lose, and that's probably going to be very likely to happen, too, beginning tonight with that Seattle Eagles game.
0: Washington is the team to watch. Sorry, Shereen. Your Cowboys had their chance on Thanksgiving. But, but isn't not it isn't it better to know now so you don't – let yourself think. Well, if this game goes this way and this game goes this way, maybe there's a chance. And no, just just let it be over. Nope. Let it be done. Go and for get the Cowboys. The top five pick. That's right. Go tank for Trevor or Justin or anyone. Just uh, forget about trying to win the division. All right, let's take a break. When we return, a mashup of some of my post-game phone conversations from Week 12. We'll do that next year on PFTPM. All right, it's a late Sunday afternoon tradition for me, getting guys on the telephone from the early Sunday afternoon games. This week, Ryan Tannehill of the Titans, Josh Allen of the Bills, Jarvis Landry of the Browns. In that order, here's uh, some of the clips of what we discussed fresh off of the football field on Sunday. Hi, Mike Florio. How are you, man? How are you? Good. Uh, congratulations on the win today. Why was today against the Colts so different than uh, a couple of weeks ago?
2: The guys came out and, and played well. You know, I think the last um, last time we played a few weeks ago, you know, we came out and started well in the second half, and um, you know, just weren't able to, to put a full four quarters together. This team, uh, the Colts, play hard. They, they're able to battle back. They've shown it several times this year when they've been able to battle back in the second half and. And That was an example of that. So we knew coming in that um, we're gonna have to play good, not not just at the start of the end, but for four quarters. And uh, that was our mindset coming in. Defense was huge in the first half. Got some, uh, you know, big stops for us, and offense was able to score points. We came out and, and executed early, made some big plays. You know, defense had some big stops, and um, we just kept it going. You know, I think the, the ground game was huge. Obviously, Derek was rolling. Uh, when Derek rolls, we're usually in, in a good situation. So, uh, I have to give credit to off the offensive line. They, they are getting movement and creating lanes up front for him. And obviously, you know, Derek was, was doing his, uh, his B-side running that he always does.
0: You had said a couple of weeks ago that Derek's touches were down by design. He had 27 rushes today, 28 against Baltimore. Did that did that deliberately change, or it just kind of happened that way? Yeah, I don't
2: know. I mean, that's probably a, coach for, uh, a question for Coach Grable or, or Arthur. But, um, you know, Derek's, Derek's been rolling, and uh, we know – as we get down the stretch here, uh, into uh, into games that, that really matter in, in January, that you know we need Derek to roll. So, uh, you know, I think obviously it's important for us to, to keep him going, and, and that's what i want to do.
0: One thing that I've been saying all year long is that you you look different this year. You seem different. You have a confidence. You have an air about you that's stronger than it's been in the past. Do you feel different this year than you have in other years of your career? You know, I don't feel a whole lot different. Obviously, I'm the
2: I'm the old man around. I played a lot of football, I've seen a lot. Um, you know, been through a lot, so uh, I've learned from every experience that I've had, and um, you know, I am where I'm at today because of all of those things. So, uh, just want to keep you know pushing the guys around me and and uh, find a way to win games.
0: How much do you balance conscious awareness of trying to avoid getting yourself in a spot where you could get hurt versus just going out there and playing and, and not worrying about what may happen? Um, I mean, it, again, I think that's what's coming... Coming with maturity
3: and understanding of, of the game, um, respecting the, the game of football itself. Um, you know, obviously, sliding, when you, you have to slide and not trying to do too much and you don't have to. Obviously, there are certain times where uh, you need it to happen, uh, You know, third, fourth down, whatever the case may be, but... Um, You know, I'm just trying to do whatever it takes for for, wrestling in football games. And as I get older, you know, the best ability that I have
0: is availability for this team. You guys aren't bashful about using trick plays. Who came up with the one today with Cole Beasley throwing the touchdown? That was
3: was Cole Stable. You know, he watched that against NC State. Or I think it was NC State that ran it. It was the little pack, right? Yes. That was our play call. So, uh, you know, did a good job
0: making sure I was throwing it behind me. And Cole did the rest. Um, through a good ball to Gage and uh, the rest of history. How hard was it for you to get past the way the Cardinals game ended? Uh, uh,
3: I mean, it, that,
0: that game, that was tough. Obviously,
3: uh, team that unfold and the emotions, the highs and lows of that game. Um, You know, it, it was a tough one to get by, but it is what it got to have a short memory and we came out today. And, uh, again, we could have played a lot better, and we you know that, but their business,
0: I took a look at your schedule. Each of your next four games are nationally televised. How does that – what do you do in a situation like that when you're going into that stretch? What's your message to teammates? What's your message to yourself when you, when you know that every game you play for the next month is going to be on a big stage? Uh, I mean, we don't try to treat in differently. Uh, got to go out there
3: do our job. Focus on one game at a time. We um, focus on the opponent at the task at hand. That's really all comes down to. We're not going to try to make anything different. and Try to switch around our schedule too much, but you know we just got to
0: go out there and execute the best that we can. Where are you challenging yourself to improve with uh, a likely postseason berth around the corner? Again, make this football clearing Up that aspect, giving ourselves better opportunity to
3: score football, make it easier on our defense. I think that you can
0: sit on what we do going forward and uh, you know, start with me. I look at the standings, I see Cleveland 8 and 3, and I can't believe my eyes. What's it feel like from your perspective?
2: Man, it feels amazing, man. It feels, it feels amazing. It feels like when I first you know, came to Cleveland, how fast that thing could be. You know, finally getting on that right on train, right track, and she was 8 it damn good.
0: Dude. How much do you guys talk about the playoffs among yourselves in the locker room and meetings and wherever?
2: Um, I mean, pretty much all the time. You know, every week, you know, we either learn from our game film or we learn from another team's game film about, you know, whether it's mistakes that they made or situations in the game that, you know, could have cost them the game or won them the game or even lost them the game. So, you know, we're always talking and trying to get better. Um,
3: um, it's definitely something that
2: we a lot, you know. Adam, why did you take over the play calling?
3: I didn't take over. We did this. We've done the same thing the last four games. We were watching Dowell for the whole game. He wasn't doing anything. I mean, he was just standing there. He, he tells me it's not hard. This is not hard. We go through it. The drive before. Hey, these are the three plays. I do the third downs. So what happens after the three plays
0: when you have a series? Because we were watching one where Dow was talking to Frank Pollock. He wasn't calling the play as you were.
3: What part of the game was it?
0: I want to I, say that I, was the third quarter.
3: Yeah, when we got down, then I I was trying to do some of the two-minute stuff.
0: That is a man who knows that it's over, Right. It's over. It's just a question of when. Is it during the season? Is it after the season? But he knows what's coming, and I think at this point he probably would welcome it. And frankly, if I was on track to become the third coach in NFL history to go 0-16, I would want to be put out of my misery before the 16th game rolls around. Maybe that's the ultimate punishment, Shireen. You have to be the coach for all 16 games. That's your punishment for coaching an 0-16 team.
1: Yeah, as I'm sitting there and listening to that, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't want to take credit. Credit's not quite the right word for this offense either. I'm throwing somebody else under the bus myself, but whatever they're doing is not clearly not working.
0: Yeah, and look, it just continues for the Jets. They've had opportunities. They had their chance a few weeks ago against the Patriots, and it just feels like, it is uh, rocketing toward 0-16. and The best they can hope for is maybe to come up against a team that loses all of its quarterbacks the day before the game. Even then, that team would be a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the New York Jets. <laughs> the Houston Texans losing one of their best receivers for the rest of the season. Will Fuller suspended six games for a PED violation. And look, PED violations don't happen as often as I believe PED violations are actually occurring they do, they, they do a good job of staying a step ahead of the testing. But every once in a while, someone gets popped. It would be naive to assume that players, given the money that's at stake, aren't doing everything they can to stay on the football field and recover quickly from injuries. Will Fuller, who's had a history of injuries, having a, a pretty good season, making an impact for the Texans. Now he's gone, and Deshaun Watson basically is left with Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb now that they've cut Kenny Stills.
1: Yeah, it was probably great for the Packers that they didn't trade for Will Fuller, right? Because they, he's suspended for the rest of the year, becomes a free agent in the offseason. So not good timing for Will Fuller, not good timing for Deshaun Watson, who's having a heck of a year, even if it's buried under everything else, as bad as the Texans are, he's playing great and has stepped up to the next level. But now he's going to have to do it without Kenny Stills and without Will Fuller. Good luck with that, Deshaun Watson.
0: I I haven't seen enough of the details yet because this is all happening while we're on the air with Will Fuller. But if his appeals have ended and the six games begins now, and I assume that it does, it's entirely possible that the Packers were aware of this possibility at the time when they didn't trade for Will Fuller. And it actually helps the Texans avoid the balance of an eight-figure contract for the rest of the year. They they were still kind of trying to pull their way back into playoff contention, but 4 and 7, I don't think that's going to be nearly good enough. 9 and 70 even if they run the table, likely won't get them into the playoff field in the AFC. All right, a little Monday afternoon quarterback. How about this one? And we we saw the Cardinals up 10 to 7, driving, fourth and goal from the 1-yard line with 3 seconds left in the first half. And uh uh, we lost Shireen. They they decided the Cardinals did instead of kicking the field goal that would have made it 13 to seven. They decided to get the walk off touchdown, and it did not work. The Patriots stuffed it. And something Sim said yesterday while we were watching the games, and I think he's absolutely right. A 10 point lead at that juncture of the game may have been more than what the Patriots could have overcome, but it ended up being one of the pieces in the puzzle that led to the Patriots upsetting the Arizona Cardinals jarring to see a team like Arizona favored to win in New England but that's the way it's gone this year for the Patriots that's the way it's gone for the Cardinals but now the Cardinals 0-2 since the Hail Murray of 15 days ago and they are in danger of tumbling out of the playoff picture altogether in the NFC the division highly unlikely at this point wild card spot possibly slipping out of their grasp as we have teams like the 49ers and the Vikings making a late push toward the end of the season. Cardinals and Buccaneers need to be worried that playoff spots that we thought were presumed to go to them could end up over the final 25% of the season going somewhere else. All right, the Carolina Panthers had the Vikings beaten. The game was it was an amazing game from the perspective of how quickly the momentum changed. The Vikings score a field goal to go up 10-7 at halftime. They get the ball to start the second half. They could go up 17-7 and begin the process of putting the pesky Panthers away. Well, Kirk Cousins gets sacked. Ball comes out. Jeremy Chin scores a touchdown. Next play from scrimmage for the Vikings. Dalvin Cook in a mess of bodies. Ball comes out. Jeremy Chin scores a touchdown. Back-to-back plays from scrimmage. Chin, defensive touchdown for the Carolina Panthers. Vikings kept fighting, though, to get back into it. And they made it 24-21. All they had to do was forced the Panthers to punt, get the ball back, move the ball down the field, potentially tie it up. Chad Beebe fumbles the punt, muffs it technically. Panthers get it. And this was amazing. The game was over at that point, folks. Turn out the lights. Panthers have the ball. First and goal from the nine with two minutes and 10 seconds left. And the Vikings have one timeout. So Panthers run on first down. Clock goes down to two minutes. Two-minute warning gives the Vikings a stoppage. Then, with two minutes left, second to goal from the five, Mike Davis gains two yards. Vikings take their final timeout, One fifty-six to play. Well, at that point, if you're the Panthers and you run the ball and you don't score, you can take another 40 seconds or so off the clock, making it even harder for the Vikings to get down the field and take the lead with a late touchdown. Instead, the Panthers choose to throw the ball it doesn't work the clock stops on the incompletion field goal try makes it 27-21 Vikings end up having more than enough time even with no timeouts to get down the field and score the game-winning touchdown they had so much time that it gave the Panthers time to get themselves in position for a potential game-winning field goal I doubt that was part of the strategy for Matt Rule when he managed the clock the way he did at or around the two-minute warning, here's Rule's response when asked about that possession after yesterday's game.
3: We ran the ball on first down, went to the two-minute warning, ran the ball on second down to get them to use their last timeout. And um, had it been at the two-yard line, I would have gone for it. You know, uh, at the three, um, we hadn't had much success with those type plays yet. So, figure take the points, make them have to score a touchdown and an extra point. Um, uh, you know, with with them having no timeouts left, so that was a thought process. Um, you know, had they had they scored with five seconds left, that would you know say maybe I should have run the ball on third down. Um, I thought we had a good play; he was wide open. We just weren't able to connect on it. I thought a touchdown would end the game. Um, fourth down, I just figured to take the points, make them score a touchdown. They scored so quickly that I don't know that I can relate it back to any of those things. At least gave us a chance to have the ball back um, at the end.
0: And it ultimately did give them the ball back at the end, and they did have a chance to win. But, but it was stunning to see the Panthers not take every last second they could off the clock before the Vikings got the ball back. Even in an empty stadium, the Vikings are at home, and the Vikings had the offense to get the ball down the field. And part of the problem, too, is the way that the Panthers played the Vikings on that final drive. No blitz, no pressure. Vikings carved them up. I mean, they were at the 10-yard line before you knew it to the point where they left too much time on the clock for the Panthers to get in position to potentially win the game. One more, though, Chargers clock management at the end of the game, down 27-17 with no timeouts. They hit on a Hail Mary pass with a minute left, a 55-yard pass to Ty Johnson. They get the ball in position, and then they run. They run. They run the ball on a moving clock. When you're down 10, you don't spike it. You run it and the clock keeps moving. And that was pretty much that for the Chargers. And it feels like that's going to be that for Anthony Lynn. As much as I respect Coach Lynn, they were 12 and four a couple of years ago, but they were 12 and four with so many close games. And that's one thing that Phillip Rivers said after that season we could have been 16 and oh, we could have been 6 and 10 with all the close games. They just happened to win most of them. Since then, a lot of close games that they aren't winning. And with Justin Herbert and that defense that's centered around Joey Bosa this is an attractive job and I have a feeling it's going to come open after the season and the Chargers are going to find someone who will take Justin Herbert, make him into a franchise quarterback and maybe the Chargers become the preferred team in Los Angeles. All right, uh, we'll, we'll try to get Shereen Williams back for the final segment of the program because this is an important segment. It's mailbag time plus a preview of the Monday night game to cap week 12, but for Raven Steelers, Seahawks-Eagles. We'll get you ready for that next here on PNC. All right, mailbag time, Monday edition of PFT PM. Let's get right to it. And this is, after two hours of PFT Live this morning and 49 minutes of PFT PM, the first mention that's been made, where'd we go? The first mention that's been, there we are, uh, that's been made of the Lions firing coach Matt Patricia and GM Bob Quinn. The question comes from at JRTheBossMan, does the Matt Patricia firing finally end the infatuation with teams? hiring belichick assistants well jr the boss man you're forgetting about the boss man in miami brian flores he's done all right for himself but for the most part as i can't remember who pointed this out last week i think it was pete demolitis who sent this clip the the bill belichick coaching tree is basically the charlie brown christmas tree you put the (laughs) ornament on top and the whole thing falls over shereen
1: Yeah, and I think Brian Flores is that ornament on top that's making it kind of fall over. But he has been the success of of that group, and that's been it. And I don't know if I would go back to the Belichick tree right now to hire somebody. And I do wonder what happens uh, to Matt Patricia. I don't see him going back to New England with what they've got going defensively with Belichick and his son. But he'll end up somewhere. I'm just curious where he will end up as a defensive coordinator. The problem
0: with the Belichick assistants is even as they walk through the door and say, I'm going to do things my own way, they don't realize how much of Belichick they have picked up as they've learned how to become coaches. Patricia was with Belichick for 15 years. By osmosis, he became Belichick, no matter how hard he tried not to be Belichick. So when you go into a team that hasn't had a coach that will MF you for every little thing you do and will talk down to you and try to coach you through fear and intimidation – Unless you win, that's not going to work. You only get the ability to be the old school coach slash jerk if you win. If you lose, hey, we could be just as bad with a coach who isn't a butthole. So that, that's the problem, and that's the risk. And you push all the chips into the table early on. And I think a lot of Belichick assistants have fallen into this trap, whether it's Josh McDaniels in Denver over a decade ago, Patricia now, and pretty much everyone in between. When Scott Pioli was the GM of the Chiefs, that same Belichick way, combative with the media, secretive, it works if you win. It doesn't work if you lose. If you lose, you end up having an entire group of people who can't wait. Until you are run out of town on a proverbial rail. And that's what happened to Patricia. And Quinn went with him because Quinn was the one who wanted Patricia from day one when he became the GM of the team. All right, at Jay Randall 15, why did the Jaguars fire their general manager, Shereen,
1: and not their head coach? Well, the head coach is going to be <laughs> soon to be gone, but the GM will get to hire his head coach. My question to you, Mike, and you can answer that part of the question. But is this the best GM job? And I was posed that question, and I thought about it, and I think maybe it is, simply because you look at all the draft picks they have, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, two fourth-round picks next year, the third most cap space of any team next year, presumably, as as it stands right now. And they're probably going to get a quarterback, either Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Does this, in your mind, rank as the number one GM opening right now?
0: Well, I, I don't know that it's number one because, frankly, I'd rather have a franchise quarterback who's proven, right? Uh, now, now uh, frankly, and all due respect to Jack Easterby, I mean, I'll be the GM of the Texans if Easterby is in no way, shape, or form part of my chain of command up to owner Cal McNair. And maybe if I can tell Cal McNair to tell Jack Easterby thanks for everything, get on down the road even better because I want my own culture in the building, not what someone else wants my culture to be. But I want a proven franchise quarterback, not the chance to get a guy who may or may not be a franchise quarterback because you still don't know. And I know Trevor Lawrence can't miss, and maybe they will tank the rest of the way. Maybe Doug Marone's objective. Maybe that's why they kept Marone. Just keep doing what you're doing, Doug, and we'll be fine, and we'll get to where we want to go. We'll either <laughs> yeah, get Justin right. Fields or Trevor Lawrence. But, but look, I, I do want to say this. Um, I, I think that Dave Caldwell was doomed to fail the moment that – Shad Khan brought Tom Coughlin back to the team and made him the executive VP of football operations because all due respect to Coach Coughlin and everything he did as a coach, I'm a firm believer that you should never hire a former coach to be anything other than the coach of your team. If you're bringing a former coach to be an executive, to be in charge of the football operations, he's still going to coach. He's still going to coach. And Tom Coughlin ended up pissing off a lot of people ended up causing more problems than he solved, ended up making Jalen Ramsey want out, and I think if they had just stayed the course with Caldwell and Marone, maybe they would have been better off than they've been over the past few weeks. All right, one more question before we move on to Monday Night Football Preview. This comes from at KSkyliner with Bruce Arians admitting that Ronald Jones needs 20 or more touches. Why do you think they continuously go away from it? Let me take first practice, Shereen. They had to go away from it yesterday because they were down 17-0. Falling into a hole like that forces you away from your game plan because you have to score points you can't go back to what you would have done with your script of plays right out of the gates you've got to try to pull yourself back into the game
1: and they, you've kind of seen that with this team. You know, you look at the same thing happen in the New Orleans game. And, and so they do get in these holes, and then they have to go to the passing game. And frankly, I'd rather have the ball in Antonio Brown and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Gronkowski's hands than Ronald Jones, especially with as much as he's fumbled this year. And I know we had the one big game, but... I would much rather have it in those receivers' hands in the hands of Tom Brady than in, in the hands of the running back. And I know you've got to run the ball some, but I don't know if 20-plus carries is really who I want getting those 20-plus carries is Ronald Jones.
0: They've got to figure out this whole Bruce Arians-Tom Brady dynamic during the bye week. My guess is someone named Glazer is going to go to Bruce Arians at some point this week and say, Bruce, look, next year we don't care if you come back. We definitely care if Tom Brady comes back. We can't run him off. You better do what he wants because who cares if we win or lose a Super Bowl? We have a Super Bowl trophy. We want a stadium full of fans next year. So they, they need to get that on the right track. The Eagles need to get on the right track tonight, 3-6-1. and one. Chance to retake first place in the division <laughs> if they could somehow beat the Seahawks at 7-3. and three. How much Jalen Hurts do we see tonight? Give me the over, under. I, I'll give you the snap. Total snaps for Jalen Hurts at quarterback tonight. Nine and a half. Over or under?
1: I was going to go 10, so I'm going to go the over, but only by a half. But I do think we see him about 10 plays tonight. I do think they'll get him in there and take the bubble wrap off a little bit and let him play a little bit and see what he can do. What do they have to lose, Mike? I mean, if if the Eagles can't get anything going against a 32nd ranked defense in the
0: up oh, there goes Shereen again. As I was saying last week, the Carson uh, Wentz train continues in Philly for one simple reason. They're sticking with him because they're stuck with him through 2021. But the news from over the weekend from Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer that owner Jeffrey Lurie didn't attend last week's game at Cleveland because of frustration with the team. That tells me the coach Doug Peterson is doing whatever he has to do to try to get the team Unfrustrated, at least get the owner unfrustrated. Here's the safety blitz with Rodney Harrison and Jack Collinsworth. Everybody have a great day. We'll see you on Tuesday.